Hey, it's Andrew, and I wanted to thank you for listening to the Door County Pulse podcast. Did you know that you can subscribe to the Door County Pulse podcast on Apple Podcasts or Pocket Casts or wherever you get your podcasts to have new episodes delivered to your feed twice a week on Wednesday and Friday? All you have to do is pick up your phone, navigate to your podcast app, and search for Door County or Door County Pulse podcast and click subscribe. If you're a longtime listener or if this is your first episode, we hope you enjoy the Door County Pulse podcast. And welcome to the Door County Pulse podcast, where each week we talk to the writers and editors of the Peninsula Pulse about the stories you can find in this week's issue. I'm Andrew Clyden, and I'm joined today by Miles Danhausen, writer and editor for the Peninsula Pulse. How's it going, Miles? It's going good, Andrew. I'm surprised to see you in the podcast booth and not frolicking through or- cherry blossoms in the orchard right now. I was able to pull myself away from the blossoms uh, to come in and record. Uh, if if you didn't check it out uh, last week for. Six or seven days, we did a, a video series called "Are They Blooming Yet?" Howard Are they blooming yet? <laughs> yep, I went out to the orchards and I, because we get the question all the time: Are are the cherry constantly. blossoms out? I mean, that's a question that anybody who works up here is constantly dealing with because the the orchards come out at a very specific window and they're only out for about a week and a half, two weeks maybe, and so to try to dial that in and really make sure that you're going to be here while they're while they're in full while blossom, while they're blooming, while they're blooming, is uh, you know, it's something that everybody wants to try to do. We were lucky this year in that they were like they were fully out for Memorial Day weekend. Yeah, so we had a ton of people who were up here, and they all got to see the the orchards kind of in full blossom, which yeah. was really great. About a week or two later than a, a normal year might be. Right. So the the video series, Brett Cosmiter and I were talking, and he he wanted to do. Like a, like a short video that just kind of like gave you the answer right up front. So I kind of took that idea and ran with it, ran out and did the first one where I just was standing in the orchard, which was totally barren. And uh, it, you know, this little jingle, are they blooming yet? And then just, nope. And then that's it. So it's like a 10 second video just to kind of do that. And I figured, you know what? They're going to be blooming in the next two weeks. We can probably, we can probably do, you know, 10 to 15 of these. And it, I would every day on my way home or, or towards the end as, as the, the weather was changing in the mornings on my way into the office, I would stop at the orchards in Egg Harbor and I would go out and see what the what the status and was. Gave a status report every day. It was it's hilarious. And the, the videos are all on uh, our Facebook page for the Peninsula Pulse. So you can check them all out there. It's kind of cool to watch them in succession if you can go back to the first one, which was what, like May 12th? 20th? Uh, yeah, I think the, the first one was May 21st. 21st through the 26th, you get the whole progression yeah. of the orchard. Yeah, it was a lot of fun to do and, and to edit. There, It was a really quick turnaround for each one of them. Uh, but the, uh, the the funny part was the, the orchards kind of are, are sporadic. So, of course, they, the, the blooming starts down in Sturgeon Bay and kind of works its way up north, traditionally. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was doing everything kind of stationed in Egg Harbor, both for its like central location in the peninsula and also it's, you know, where I live. <laughs> so it's easy for me to, to get those shots on my way to and from work. So when we started, of course, blossoms were like in full bloom down in Sturgeon Bay. And then some of the sweet cherry varieties uh, bloom about a week earlier. So at Highline Orchard on Egg Harbor, there was a patch of trees that were in full blossom like six days before the rest of the orchards started to bloom because the majority of cherry orchards in Door County are the, are the tart. Mm-hmm. Uh, Montmorency. Mont- yeah, Montmorency cherries. The, the crux of the position was, you know, we were two days into this and all of a sudden people were like, yeah, they're blooming. You just have to go look for them. And I always thought like, no, those trees are blossoming. 
but they're not blooming yet until you can drive through Door County and see yeah. massive. Like you can right now. Yeah, exactly. So uh, it, it was kind of fun. People out in the community while I was just out and about would stop me and be like, hey, are they blooming yet? And I'd be like, <laughs> kind of, but not yet. And it, it was a lot of fun. So I think people really enjoyed it and it was it was fun to produce. And uh, yeah, you can check them all out on the Dark County Facebook page. If you go to our video section, there's a playlist that has all of them. You may have cursed yourself because it now may be like, um, are there cherries yet? Can I pick them yet? Can, yep, it's going to be fall color season, snow. You're just, we're just going to send you out for all of them. Awesome. So, Miles, why don't we jump into some of the news this week? One thing that we've talked about on the podcast a couple of times is the door-to-door public transportation system. And the the future of that program was kind of in flux and, and has been over the last couple of months. But there's been some movement on it recently, correct? Yeah. So it was really in, in doubt whether or not they would the door-to-door system would continue. It costs the county about $170,000 a year. There have been some changes with state grants and, and funding for that. So it was going to kind of balloon a little bit on the county. And the way it has operated for since it started is it sits under the Department of Health and Human Services, which is kind of a weird setup anyway because it's a transportation network, except for the fact that a lot of people who use those human services also are the people who maybe can't drive or are elderly and don't want to be on the roads that much. So that the service itself is used by thousands of Door County residents throughout the year. The majority of them, more than 80% of them in the city of Sturgeon Bay, just to get to doctor's appointments, uh, county government appointments, all sorts of different human services, or just places they need to go, grocery shopping, things like that. So a lot of people, and it particularly leans towards seniors, rely on this service. And when they started talking about cutting back on the service or eliminating it altogether, they, those people came out in droves, uh, tons of letters, tons of letters to the editor here at The Pulse, tons of letters to county board members, a lot of people showing up at meetings to just talk about how important this service is to them. And the, that advocacy worked. The county board yesterday, or sorry, Tuesday, voted to extend the program for three more years, but they also made some changes to how it operates. So it's been under the Health and Human Services Department. Joel Krebsbach, the head of that department, has always said, he's like, I am not a transportation manager. I'd prefer that this not be in my department. And so what they've done is they actually voted to take it out of that department, hire somebody to manage the transportation service and fund it and continue it for three more years. It's kind of unclear how they're going to fund it long term. They, I think they're going to take it from their undesignated funds in the short term, but they really didn't solve like, hey, this is a, a 10-year funding mechanism for it. So it's going to come back, but it's safe for the next three years. That passed by a 20 to 1 vote, Dave Anigal being the only person who voted against it. Wow. Yeah, I mean, so you can see the, the the support and the importance of the program, and it's it's great that there there's a continuation of the program. But of course, like you said, this is going to come up again in three years, and the the future of the program is still challenged in that way. And there is some talk, and at least a couple of people raised the question, uh, Bob Boltman, what about the city taking on the portion that provides for their citizens, and then the rest of the county taking on, or the county government? finding a solution for the outlying areas because more than 80% of the users are in the city. So there's some people who have argued that, well, the city should be funding a lot more of that. Um, Dan Ossed lives in the city of Sturgeon Bay and a county board rep said, hey, remember, the city pays taxes too, which is true. But I could see this becoming a problem down the road, mainly door-to-door, 
maybe flown under the radar a little bit, but this whole process has put a lot of facts on the table that might, you know, convincing somebody in Liberty Grove that they, which pays, is the largest property taxpayer into county county taxes, um, to fund a service that is almost exclusively used outside of that community. Like, we all work together, but I could see this coming up for um, some of those supervisors at some point saying, like, you know, this is a little awkward. You know, like I, I doubt that Sturgeon Bay would want to fund something that was 90% um, Sister Bay kind of thing. But once you go down that road, then you start evaluating all your services that way. And whether it be county highways or lawn mowing services for the county and things like that, people might go, well, that's that's used primarily by you, so you should pay for that. So it's a slippery slope. Transportation network in Door County has a ton of holes, and those only grow more noticeable as our population continues to age. And I think, you know, this door-to-door issue will come up again pretty soon. And, you know, the village of Sister Bay is creating a shuttle this summer again. They did it a couple of years ago, didn't have it last year. Now they're creating a shuttle bus transportation network, trying to market it better and get more use out of it to move people around the Sister Bay community um, between restaurants, but also some to some degree, some of their employees moving the employees around so you don't have as many people driving and parking in downtown when you want those spots available for tourists. So there's some other communities looking at possible transportation options as well. A combination of solutions long term. Yeah, I wanna I wanna dig into that just a little bit further too, because that's that's news to me and it's interesting. But the the other question that I have is like discovering door to door for me was like, oh, this is like a taxi in a way. It is like you know, I, I used it when I was without a vehicle to get home from work on days where, you know, me and my wife couldn't share the vehicle. So you've it, used door to door? Yes. Okay. Like that was my introduction to it. And then through talking about, you know, this stuff and, and doing the podcast work that we've done, that's where I learned that the majority of the usage comes from, uh, you know, the, the elderly population using it to get around, to get to the hospital, to uh, kind of, you know, maintain their, their day-to-day quality of life. And so I guess my question is, is there... Is there any any thought to maybe transforming the program into something that is less like transit solution and more of a specialty program that is is kind of like focused in on uh, that that type of work in the metro mobility or something like that? You mean like geared toward seniors? Yeah. Well, or, I mean, or I people think with it, disabilities. Or I anything think it like has that. just sort of become that anyway, without even trying to gear it toward that. That's just what what it became, and that is a big part of what it started as was just trying to get uh, that necessary transportation and even like some of the, you know, we have some shut-ins in this county based on mobility, based on age, based on disability. And door-to-door is one of the ways that a lot of those people actually get out of their homes and get to services that otherwise might not get out. (laughs) And so it's it's a health, it's actually a health issue for a lot of people. You know, you have to reserve a ride fairly well in advance, I think. Like a, is it mm-hmm. like 24 hours in advance? At least 24, especially if you're trying to do something in Northern Door because they have to they have to find a way to, to get a driver up there. Yeah. So I wonder if technology might play a role in this down the road to make it a little more convenient for people. I mean, we now have Uber, we have Lyft. I wonder if any of that, you know, the app technology that's used for that might be used to do the ride hailing for a door-to-door in a, might be a more efficient manner. We are I'm part of a group that's investigating whether or not some sort of countywide shuttle bus service is feasible and how that might connect to different communities. Like Sister Bay's this summer is going to be a really good trial balloon on what a good local system could look like and whether or not you can get the ridership. Uh, One of the things you grapple with when you're trying to do something on a public transit level, emphasis on the public, 
is what you can charge or whether you can charge. A lot of places, you know, Sophie Parr has been a consultant. She's worked in Duluth on their public transit system. She is helping us with our, our some of our investigative work on transportation and has helped the village of Sister Bay plan their system. And one of the things that, that she says and other experts say, like, once you, you want ridership, obviously free is the best way to go because even like a dollar or a dollar fifty, you start to really see declines in how people use something, especially a local transit. Now, if you get something that's getting someone from Sturgeon Bay to Egg Harbor, you know, people see a little bit more value in that. And so they might pay for that. But in terms of like tourism areas and just having like a shuttle to move people around within a small community, it seems like it almost has to be free to get the usage and, and get the benefits you want. But some of those benefits might include not having to build another parking spot on prime property that could be developed and be paying taxes. There's there's benefits beyond just like getting people from point A to point B, taking cars off the road. You know, there are some long term, you can look at like pure economic benefits from not having to build parking lots and flood your streets with tons of traffic. Well, and you had mentioned technology too. And, and, and that makes me think of, and you know, maybe this is my million dollar idea that I shouldn't share on the podcast, but like think about how public transit works in, in other places. So like Minneapolis is the one that I'm the most familiar with. You have Metro Transit, which is the light rail and the buses and the the different lines that take you out of the cities to different areas, right? All of that is under one roof. So if you download the Metro Transit app, I mean, you can you can see the light rail times, you can see the fares, buses, all of that kind of stuff within there. But then you hook in ride sharing, Uber and Lyft and those types of things. They have their own dedicated apps and, you know, Uber and Lyft being separate. Then you look at Google and you can kind of combine all of those things together. Like if I'm if I type in a destination when I'm in the city, I have the option of like getting there by car or walking or bike. But then you also have the transit options, which includes buses, which includes light rail, which includes ride sharing. All of that stuff kind of lives on Google Maps, right? Mm-hmm. If, if Door County were to get sort of a patchwork of different types of transit, say a, a shuttle system in the individual towns, maybe something more long term that takes people from Sturgeon Bay or Southern Door up into the peninsula, uh, and then you have like the the different ride sharing apps, all of that kind of stuff together. Maybe there's an app down the road, a Door County Transit app that links all of those different things together. So it's like I'm trying to get from Sturgeon Bay to Gills Rock, and it's going to take three or four different stops to get up there. But this app is going to help me figure out how to get from Sturgeon Bay to the first stop that's going to get me up into the peninsula, and then from Egg Harbor to Sister Bay, and so on and so forth. Something that makes it easy for people to plan all of that stuff out that interconnects the different elements of the patchwork system that we might have. Mm-hmm. Well, build that. Yeah, there you go. So, Start coding. Yeah, I'm going to cut that out of the podcast, and uh, that's my million-dollar idea. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, you talked about the 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 proposed system in, in Sister Bay this year. That reminds me of, like, you know, there was a time when there were railroads that would take people into the into the county and up the peninsula. Well, uh, not not up the peninsula, but into Sturgeon Bay. Right, and from there, you know, they could and Then carriage. we had a bus. So all these things that we talk about is like, oh, how do we ever do this? You can look to history. Like you said, there were trains. People took the train from Chicago and Milwaukee all the way up to Algoma into Sturgeon Bay. And then from there, there was a bus service. The Lake and Bayview bus line took people. They had a station in Sister Bay. They had a station in Sturgeon Bay and transported people up and down the peninsula. There is a model of, of, of something that was very well used, largely, I mean, used for tourists, but local residents at the time when Vehicles weren't as uh, prevalent in the county, and like not every home had two vehicles. A lot of the shipyard workers from Northern Door County would 
get to work on the Lake and Bay Bayview bus line and take that down to Sturgeon Bay every day. One of the issues now is creating a transportation network. We have 500 fewer high school students than we did 20 years ago or in, in all of Door County. And we have 500 J-1 visa students who come here and work seasonally. Kind of like you can almost equate that as like, all right, but all those high school workers, they're gone. The J-1s, almost an equal number, have moved in in that same time to replace them. The difference is all of those high school students had parents with vehicles or probably worked within their same town. These J-1 visa students don't have vehicles. So there are a lot of businesses in Door County right now that go and pick up their employees. So you take an owner who any business owner should probably value their time at minimum of like $100 an hour. And you might be spending an hour of your day every day driving around getting people to and from work in many cases. So that's a lot of opportunity cost eaten up. Like, you know, what could that person be doing rather than driving around? Right. Well, and I guess when you when you start to think about public transit, I think the first thing that you think about from the outsider, from a privileged perspective, is that, you know, this is a way to get uh, inebriated people home from the bars. But there's so much more to it. I mean, you just brought up, you know, something that I didn't even think about is getting workers around in the county. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of the J-1 students will take multiple jobs in the same town because it's the only way that they can get to different places. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, many of them bike or walk to their different jobs. Uh, but, I mean, you can't really have a job in Egg Harbor and then also work nights in Fish Creek if you can't get there. You know what I mean? Taking yeah. a bike from Egg Harbor to Fish Creek every day, that's, you know, that's a lot. It's, it's a lot to expect, especially on 55-mile-an-hour roads where, you know, as, as great and as beautiful as a place as this is for biking, still a lot of people who are just not respectful of it. And cars think they own the roads. An alert for all of you drivers. Bikes have every right to that road. <laughs> like they're, they're, you, you are not supposed to say like, okay, there's a bike in front of me. I'm just allowed to go wherever I want because that bike's impeding my path. Like, no, you're supposed to slow down, let the traffic pass on the other way, and then you go around the cyclist. Well, and yeah, on the other side of that coin, uh, bicyclists should be treating themselves as a vehicle. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like driving through... Fish Creek, the other, uh, during like Memorial Day weekend when it was packed, there was a, a bicyclist who was straddling the lane between where cars were driving and where cars were parked and going slower than traffic. So people are passing him and then getting in a traffic snake and being passed by him. But it just creates this really dangerous situation where it's like... That's on the vehicle. Right. But it's like if, if you if you slow down and, and give him the room, but already he's, you know, he's right next to cars. An open door is going to be uh, an incredible... Yes. You know. Yeah, you're always looking for, you're always in fear of being doored. Um, right. So it's like just move into the center of the lane and, oh, yeah. and and we will respect you as a vehicle. But as soon as you start going off to the side like that and trying to be like, oh, I'm I'm a bike, you can go around me. That's where it gets more dangerous. Yeah. It is a, it's tough because you want to be considerate of drivers and give them the opportunity. You also got to watch for getting doored. And then if, so if you go out in front of them, then you start getting honked at. But that is what I... What I do, especially in heavy traffic, and I used to bike all over Chicago, you go right in the middle of that lane. And you know what? In our downtown areas, a bike can pedal just as fast as any car can go. Right. right. It, or should be going, like unless they're speeding through Fish Creek. 25 miles an hour. Most cyclists can go 20 to 25. Oh, yeah. I would rather slow down five miles an hour to make sure that, you know, there's a person who's safe in front of me than to, you know, go that extra five miles an hour and endanger both him or me or anybody else. Yeah. And that person on the bike is taking a car out of your way. Yeah. 
So the other thing that I want to talk about, again, it, it's kind of an ongoing thing that we've been talking about since the sustainability issue came out this year. Uh, but more meetings on affordable housing have been happening, and the response to those and the attendance of those has been really inspiring. Yeah, the the meeting we had last week in Sister Bay, we had about 125 people attend, including the entire Sister Bay Village board, which stopped their meeting and came across the street and attended that one in Sister Bay, and, and which is great to see. In Sturgeon Bay last night, we had about 50 attendees, which is somewhat disappointing. The nice thing is almost the entire city council and the mayor came over to that meeting and the Sturgeon Bay administrator, Josh Van Leeshout, were all in attendance. Um, those are very important people to have at that meeting. Not a lot of other town or municipal board attendees, not a lot of other business owners. And that's what's disappointing to me is because those, those people need to be out here spreading the word. The business owners need to be getting informed and advocating. And the people who need the housing need to show up at these meetings as well. Like we can't just expect a bunch of volunteers and senior citizens to come out and solve the affordable housing problem. So that's my soapbox of like my cohorts, you need to show up if you want something to change. And well, and that's been that's been my thing that I've been trumpeting too, is that affordable housing is everyone's problem. Everybody should be interested in finding a solution or a path forward to it because it affects everybody from the from any, you know, social economic class, from people who are looking for housing, getting young families up here, to people who have, you know, retired and found housing easily and those people, in order to maintain their quality of life and to continue to have the wonderful things that we have here, the restaurants, the businesses, all of that stuff, we need people to come into the county to to replace the elderly population, to replace the workers, to bring children in here, to grow up and go to our schools and to work in our businesses. We need all of that stuff to continue forward. And the only way that we can get there is if we make the housing situation more attainable for those folks. And uh, I know some people out there might wonder, like, all right, so what's happening? Well. So we're doing these meetings. Yeah, did you yeah. guys fix it yet? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> totally fixed. So we have another one as we record this on Thursday. We have another meeting tonight in Southern Door. These meetings, we have gotten a lot of great input, a lot of great ideas, and what little tweaks that can be made that just makes it easier for people to build stuff without even putting in a whole new program, but just saying, oh, if we change this, that allows you to build this um, four-unit complex that can be an affordable rent situation. That, that's one step. Um, the Door County Housing Partnership, which is essentially a housing trust, has been moving forward. There's some really good people working on that. Diana Wallace, Mariah Good, Dick Scary, all leading the way. And getting that ready to go to start presenting options to communities to create a affordable housing purchase options. And there's just been a lot of really good feedback. And I think for the municipal officials in attendance, people like Marty Olenicek, who's been part of these presentations, and Mariah Good, from the Door County Planning Department. Marty Olenicek is the Community Development Manager for Sturgeon Bay. Mariah is the head of zoning for the, for the county of Door. They're getting a lot of good feedback and they're coming away from these meetings saying, yep, that's a good idea. We can change that. We should look at this. We should look at this. But they want to roll it out as like comprehensive changes, not little tweaks here and there, but alerting the municipal officials to what they need to change and how they need to change their policies uh, in their individual communities to encourage this. Otherwise, they just kind of go with the status quo. So we're getting a lot of leaders in the room. That's the first step. And in June, uh, Jim Schusler is leading a, a meeting and tour with some developers that they're bringing into the county, some local, some outside the county. I'm like, hey, here are sites that could potentially be build-outs. If you have ideas, let's talk. So there is 
I think in, in my 20 years of being either involved or covering this issue, there's more momentum to do something than ever before. It's moving forward. If people have ideas, they, they've got to show up if, and, and start working on them. you got to be part of it. Yeah, and, and this is this is the opportunity to do it. I mean, people have talked about how this has been an issue forever and, you know, nothing really happens with it or it kind of ebbs and flows. But it seems like, like there's enough people in the right positions who are as interested in fixing this now more than ever. And so if, if you're one of those people who has ideas or is, you know, passionate about this or, I mean, if, even if you're just a young person who's looking for a house up here, like getting your voice heard at meetings like this and, you know, talking to the people that are in the position to make these changes, the time to do it because this could be the change that we're looking for. And you know what? One thing that definitely doesn't solve it, Facebook comments. Or just saying, you know, like, I have not seen an affordable house that was built on the foundation of Facebook comments yet. So that's not to say that people shouldn't be having that discussion. And I've, I've got a lot of good story ideas and I've heard some great stuff through Facebook comments. I, a lot of these people who are very frequent and very loud on Facebook and social media, I don't see them in the room for any of these discussions. And we're literally taking these to wherever people will will show up and hear them. So it couldn't possibly be easier. Well, and in, in the same vein as Facebook comments, um, sitting by and waiting to see how it plays out is the other thing, too. There's a lot of people who are like, oh, things are, are moving forward. Great. I, I'm excited to see what happens. On the other end of the spectrum, there's people who are like, ah, nothing's going to happen. I mean, we've, we've done this song and dance before and that kind of stuff. The complacency is is the enemy of progress. And now is the time to, to get out there and, and make it happen. I mean, it, it seems like from what you're telling me that that the progress is being made. And to continue that momentum is is the first step to, to, to getting to where we need to be and, and, and getting a county that can sustain itself for the future. I mean, that's that's really the heart of the issue is finding something sustainable. Mm-hmm. And so steps are being taken. Um, we're looking for more feedback. And if you have story ideas, let me know. I'll chase them down. Cool. Why don't we take a break, Miles? And when we come back, we, uh, we have another story that I want to talk about, uh, about the water levels. And this has been, you know, kind of, I've been hearing about this for years. We did a, a series of videos on the beaches and people were like, oh, well, you know, the beach isn't much anymore, but it used to be huge. And it's just this tiny strip now. So that was kind of where it started percolating in my head. But uh, you, you've got some interesting numbers to share with people. And mm-hmm. uh, I, I think it's an interesting story. So let's take a break and we'll come back and we'll dive into that. They call themselves the Stradivarius Builders of Sturgeon Bay because the guys at Palmer Johnson were artists in wood, and metalwork, anything you imagine. They did it so beautifully well. The first fishermen came down the lake from Mackin Island or worked their way along the north shore of Lake Michigan. And they came because of the whitefish. The whitefish were abundant. In 1945, 2,000 German prisoners of war came to Door County and picked cherries for just one harvest season. Peninsula Filmworks is dedicated to telling the stories of Door County, past, present, and future. To learn more about the history of shipbuilding in Sturgeon Bay, to see how the cherry became a Door County icon, or to watch the peninsula's last remaining fishermen brave the waters to haul in thousands of pounds of whitefish daily, and the many other incredible stories produced with the Door County Visitor Bureau, visit doorcounty.com slash ourdoorcounty. Okay, we are back. So, Miles, water levels have been high for years, but they are approaching the all-time high currently, right? Yeah, water levels bottomed out in 
2013 at uh, record low levels on Lake Michigan. But since then, they've been rising steadily and actually kind of bounce back rather quickly. But this year, anybody who has eyes and opens them and looks at the water, as we all like to do, it's very clear just that the water is higher than ever before. If you go to Sister Bay, the swim pier there that is part of so many people's summer memories, the water's just rushing over that pier all the time. That was the thing that that sparked it in my head. Uh, Memorial Day weekend, I was out with my parents in Sister Bay just kind of enjoying the water and seeing people running up and down the pier and have water splashing Splash, on their yeah. footsteps. I was like, is the pier underwater? And yeah, it was. Yeah, it's uh, and th- that's what people are seeing everywhere. Gordon Lodge has like put out some cement blocks to stop some of the wave action on their outdoor patio at their top deck bar. Over here in Bailey's Harbor... At our office, um, we're located next to the marina, and we see the the water coming up and down every single day, just flooding the backyard. And part of that is caused by, yes, the water is high, which, like this temporary pier that's out there is just destroyed. Sorry, Dave. But there's also these things called seiches. I think I'm saying that right, which is just a, a kind of a descriptor of, like, the Lake Michigan's a big bathtub. And if the water sloshes from one side to the other... Uh, Michigan will get that little wave and then it'll come back and, and Door County will get that wave. What I was told by a woman from the Wisconsin Department of Natural Resources, she said that we're getting some stronger storms and stronger, which means stronger wave action, which means like a little more pronounced seiches. We're seeing it in Bailey's Harbor on our shoreline roughly every 20 to 25 minutes. You're seeing it rise 15 to 20 inches up and then 15 to 20 inches down. And so it goes from like a flooded backyard to like a mud-soaked disgusting field back there every 20 minutes or so and that's all from that like just the big sloshing like the big bathtub you you mentioned that the the all-time low for door county water levels was in 2013 2013 so that's that's not a lot of time for it to go from nothing to where it is now Uh, but it's not the highest that it's ever been right no so these you know the lake has always gone in cycles in the 60s you had really high water levels and then you had really low level levels just a couple years later Then it came back up by the 1980s. By 1986, you had the highest on record, and we're approaching that now. We're a few inches behind that. It's possible because people say as the water warms, the the water expands, actually, so your water levels actually increase as the summer comes. So June and July is when you would typically see the highest water levels. So I talked to Charlie Henriksen, a fisherman who's as experienced as anyone out on the lakes in Door County, and he said, He'd be shocked if we weren't looking at six more inches higher water levels by the midsummer. But in 86, it was extremely high water levels. When I was uh, a kid going to the Alpine Dock in, in Egg Harbor, I just remember being able to jump off the end of that and, you know, you couldn't get to the bottom of the water. And then by the early 2000s, you know, you couldn't jump off the end of the pier because there was about six inches of the water and you would slam your feet into the sand. And you also had back in the 80s when the high water level, people were complaining about, oh, this is eroding my shoreline and this is destroying my pier. Well, by the time I was writing for The Pulse in the 2005 to 2010 range, we were doing a ton of stories about where's the water going? Because there was some studies were showing that the dredging of the St. Clair River between Lakes Huron and Erie was actually draining the water from Lake Huron into Lake Erie. So Lake Michigan and Lake Huron are the same body of water for all for scientific purposes. So when you're draining it from Huron, you're essentially draining it from Lake Michigan. The International Joint Commission, combination of Canadian and U.S. officials, did a study, a $3.6 million study, looking at that, that dredging, looking at all these different factors for the lake. 
and basically concluded, nah, it's most likely climate change. You know, we were getting less rainfall and less snowfall and milder winters, so there wasn't as much ice, there wasn't as much water captured by the, the Great Lakes Basin. So come summertime, you were just seeing more and more evaporate. We've had some harsher winters since 2012, and you know, kind of anecdotally, those harsher winters might have led to more ice cover, which may led to more capture of that water, and now we have higher water levels. That's that's my very brief explanation for a much more complicated scientific topic. You know, when you mention when you mention that like water being siphoned kind of thing, I just I imagine like a National Geographic article with like the headline like "Who's stealing our water?" Yeah, I mean, we were running headlines like that, like wh- "Where's where's the water going?" And you know, we've done a lot of manipulation on the Great Lakes over the last century. The St. Lawrence Seaway has Dan Egan, who plug for the Celebrate Water conference coming up in uh, June third, fourth, I think. Dan Egan will be speaking at that. He's written pretty much the seminal books on the Great Lakes. He's done tons of great investigative work on the water levels, on invasive species, basically anything you want to know about the Great Lakes, you turn to Dan Egan. But he did a lot of great research on the St. Lawrence Seaway and basically said that, like, what a huge financial boondoggle that has turned out to be. And just in terms of trying to control the invasive species that that has brought in to the Great Lakes, that wipes out any, like, economic profit from it, I think. It's kind of what the studies show. But then we also have dams all over. We have um, alterations to the to rivers that lead into the lake or lead out of the lake. Uh, you have obviously the Chicago River where they reverse the flow, and some people would say that helps drain Lake Michigan. I mean, there's so many different things that we've done to alter the lakes. Every time we try to fix something else, we probably screw something else up. What what kind of effect? Like, I don't know if you know the actual number, but the the water level is something like what. Four and a half feet above the average? Is that kind of how it breaks yeah, the, out? Yeah, the long term. What they do is, you know, they don't measure it and go like day to day. Like January 13th was at this five years ago. There's so much fluctuation just based on storms. So they do it on monthly averages of like what the what the 30-day the average at a certain point was. So then they take that over time. I think that average is like 576, again, somewhere around there. And right now we're sitting around 590, 591. So yeah, about four and a half feet higher than like your your long term average. Well, and think about the the actual physical effect of that because like if you were to look at a pier and say it's four feet higher than normal, you can actually physically see the water being closer to the top of the yeah. pier. Uh, but think about the 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 waterfront and the beaches. Four feet higher does not equal four feet more beach. It, it probably equals you know, many meters or yards. Or- well, take Ephraim, for example. In this week's issue of the Peninsula Pulse, I took some pictures that I had taken back in 2009 of the Ephraim shoreline in which the sand goes out 100 yards from where, like, the, the water, kind of like the, the break wall at the shoreline is. So now, if you go to Ephraim, I, we have some pictures that Len Villano took this week. That is all covered by a couple of feet of water now. There was a stretch there where Ephraim shoreline wasn't sand, it wasn't beautiful water glistening. It was a bunch of grasses growing out of like kind of muddy sand from the lake bed and then grass growing and even like shrubs and even some small trees growing 50 to 100 yards out from the shore, what the traditional shoreline is. So it's, it's very different now. Uh, there's also some pictures of the, the piers in there, like you said, where it was three feet down and now it's right on the top of those um, piers. And almost ready to to flow over the top of them. And back then, there was tons of dredging. Like every every single harbor was doing massive dredging efforts just to get a channel for boats to come in. 
you so you spent most of the spring seeing those barges with the with the backhoes on them. Uh, I didn't see as many of those this year. One of my favorite like physical representations of this is if you go to Sven's Bluff in Peninsula State Park and look out over the island, you can see where there were portions of the island that went out further and trees began to grow on them that are now actually separated from the main island. You've got sure. trees sticking right out, right of, out the water, of the water, uh, which is, is really interesting to, to see that and to think like, oh, you know, not even 10 years ago, the, the island was bigger and all of that stuff was exposed. Cana Island has had to cancel tours to the island a couple times this year right. because they can't get across that causeway with their tractors. And between the high water and then any sort of wave action or wind action really makes that too dangerous to pass right now. You have, um, in low water years, even Rock Island, there's a long expanse where you can walk most of the way across, and now it's now you can't even come close to that. Uh, fishermen are seeing the impact. Charlie Henriksen told me, and this is anecdotally, I haven't checked up on the science on it, but he said their working assumption is kind of that high water is better for fishing because it covers up more of the spawning grounds. So there's just more opportunities for the fish to spawn in Lake Michigan. So you see more of those fish actually survive and um, they can spawn in the in the lake actually and not just in the tributaries that lead into the lake. And then even like the change in the quagga mussels is helping fishing right now because they, they used to be zebra mussels and zebra mussels would even come right up to the shore, which would then eat up a lot of the habitat for spawning. Quagga mussels kind of squeezed out the zebra mussels. And the good thing about that is the quagga mussels go farther out into the lake. So it kind of freed up some of that shoreline for the spawning. So a lot of stuff just in a short conversation with Charlie Hendrickson. I, any, anytime I talk to him, I come away going, oh, well, there's four more things I never thought about or knew before. So. Well, and I think that we should we should plug Celebrate Water one more time, too, because they're they're kind of right in the midst of of the all of the events and stuff that are happening with that. Uh, Celebrate Water was a, a year long initiative to kind of uh, celebrate not only our location on the Great Lakes and what makes the water so important to us in Door County, but also to highlight a lot of the challenges that the Great Lakes are facing environmentally and that kind of stuff. Uh, as you mentioned, Dan Egan is going to be uh, in the county and uh, June 4th. Through six. That's a Celebrate Water Summit that they're doing. Right. But but as I said, it's been a year-long initiative, right? There's been stuff Correct. going on all over the place. So you check that out. If you want to learn more information, you can go to celebratewaterdoorcounty.org. Uh, and that's got pretty much everything that you need to know to kind of get involved and to, to check out all of the water-based events that are going on. Uh, but... You know, it's it's an interesting thing to to dig into. I mean, we live here surrounded by the lake on on almost every side. We're, you know, we're a peninsula that sticks out into it. So understanding the the stuff that goes on in it is is important and making sure that we're doing our part to preserve its its legacy and its quality for generations to come. Well, with that, I think that that's just about going to do it for us this week, Miles. Thank you so much for chatting with me, and I look forward to talking to you again soon. Yeah, great to chat as always, Andrew. These stories and more will be available in this week's issue of the Peninsula Pulse, available throughout Door County. For more headlines, visit DoorCountyPulse.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the Door County Pulse podcast for your weekly Pulse picks, interviews, and exclusive content from the Peninsula Pulse. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week.